Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and where authors give voice to the written words. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-host, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hey, readers and writers, welcome to this episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words and where reading and writing topics take center stage. I'm your co-host, Sarah Archer, and I'm here today with Molly Grantham, who's returning to the podcast to share Practice Makes Progress, the third and final book in her series of essay collections about the off-camera life of an on-camera mom. The Charlotte Observer says that in her books, Molly proves she is as gifted at telling tales about motherhood as she is at delivering the news on television every night. Um, There's so much to talk about here, so let's just jump in. Molly, thank you for coming back to the podcast. Sarah, thank you. And Landis, who's not on the call, but him sort of out there for having me come back. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, we're so happy to have you back. Um, I'm so happy to talk to you about this book. Like I was just saying, there's so much in here that I really enjoyed and got insight from. Um, And I wanted to talk to you, too, because you're such a busy person. (laughs) You're somebody who wears many hats. You're an author. You're a philanthropist, a mom, obviously. Um, a speaker. Your main career is as an anchor on WBTV News. I believe you won four Emmys in your work as a journalist. Um, and you recently ce- celebrated, was it 20 years? At the 20 years last week, which oh is gosh. wild. 20 years in November. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. Um, Thank you. So your, your main job there is all about kind of sharing other people's stories. Here, you're turning that spotlight around on yourself and sharing your own story with the world. What's that been like? What, what has been maybe rewarding or challenging about sharing your personal life in a public forum? Both those things, rewarding and quite challenging. I'm very used to telling other people's stories and always wanted to do that. I'm one of those weird people that is doing exactly what I thought I wanted to do when I was 12 years old. And here I am doing it. I've always loved telling other people's stories and truth telling and fact finding and research and investigative reporting. I've been a dog on a bone for years and years. And now I'm, you know, sort of in front leading a lot of these shows, the five, five, 36 and 11. So it's a different role than out there in the field, but I love it too. And the editorial decisions and constantly talking about other people's stories is just how I've been trained. And I wrote this in the first book, the book you and I are talking about is the third and final in the series, but the first book, Small Victories, I I wrote in that intro. um, It was sort of an accidental book. I didn't intend to, um, write about me ever (laughs) so it worked out that way by chance by karma by fate by maybe luck because it saved me in many ways to get all these thoughts out of my head and put them down and that was a weekly post in the beginning when I was on maternity leave with two kids and I missed myself and then it got when I went back to work after 12 weeks so now we're on month four month five and I started making the monthly posts and this final book is the end month 66 to month 100. So to know that I wrote eight and a half years monthly about real life, my life, what I remember, our stories, the challenges, the goods, the bads, the always real, I think is remarkable. It's almost like they're love letters to my kids because they document them. They document us. They document our family. They document my mind, all the little details you forget I feel like time makes stories sort of get numb to what really happened. Certainly with COVID and this final book, COVID like makes us forget everything we all went through. Mm-hmm. And 
it was so rewarding because now it's in some ways done. <laughs> in some ways I say I have three books, a hundred months, eight and a half years. It's a huge slice of our lives. And so it's super rewarding just to have it documented, you know, write it down. I tell everybody, write it down, write it down. It doesn't matter where you're writing. It doesn't matter if it's published. It doesn't matter if someone else sees it, write it down. Because when you get the things in your head out, either on a keyboard or on paper, in a diary, on post-it notes, if you get it out somewhere, you've now recorded it and it makes it more memorable to you later in your own mind because you've taken the time to document it somehow, some way. And so it's very rewarding because it's done this series at least. And it's been really challenging because it was a self-imposed deadline. I gave myself every month for a hundred months that started again by accident on weekly Facebook posts when I was at home and missed myself with two young babies. Yeah, that's, that's amazing that um, eight and a half years, that's incredible. And I love that idea to write it down. I think that in the the afterword or the acknowledgements, that was kind of your final injunction for readers too, was write it down, which I think it was. Is, um, that's such a good thing to think about, certainly for writers, but just for anyone too. Like the thing, the little things that you think don't matter in the moment, you want to look back on those and you want to remember them. Um, what was the, so I know that you started these as Facebook posts, what was kind of the process of compiling them into books? Did you basically take everything verbatim? Was there a lot of editing that was done between? Oh my gosh, it was posts? so much editing, <laughs> so much editing, so much editing. It was mining stuff from Facebook. I tried to put things in a Word document as I went. I always wrote my Facebook posts that were long, the monthly posts on Word anyway first. Mm-hmm. And then I would go back because what is on Facebook is clearly not a book. And Facebook is a different platform. So you write, or at least I write, because I'm writing all the time for work. So what I write for television news scripts is different than what I would write for a newspaper article. What I write for Facebook is different than what I would write in a book that you're holding and reading. What you write for you know, Twitter or X is different than Instagram or LinkedIn. So every platform has its own thing. So it's by no means a cut and paste. It's a great platform to start from with the Facebook stuff. I would put it into Word. I would sort of call in mind comments. Sometimes there's thousands of comments. And so you pick four or five or 10 that seem in that moment to take a good 360 degree slice of all of it. And then I had a literary consultant and I had a professional editor and I would read it and I still pick it up right now and might change a word or sentence structure here or there because I think every author does that. Even when they're published, they want to go back and open it and sometimes change things. So there was tons and tons and tons of editing, tons of tedious mining of cutting and pasting things, but to then only be edited. There's new writing in the new book. There's new photos in the new book. Um, Certainly new thoughts, but I tried not to change the concept of what I was saying in the moment. So if I was taking a post from, I don't know, pick a month, December of 2020, well, we had all gone through a nightmarish, you know, 10 months by December of 2020 that no one saw coming. So what I thought in December 2020, I didn't want to change, even if I knew when I was editing it in December of 2022, that what I was saying was wrong or it didn't plan out that way that I had thought it might. Mm -hmm. So I didn't change the concept of what I was writing, but I did add a lot new writing and edit everything. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's a huge process. But yeah, I think that that kind of like raw emotional energy of what you were feeling in the moment really comes through. And particularly, you you talked about COVID. I, I believe the first entry of this picks up in, was it April 2020? Um, it was. So it's sort of, you know, right as the pandemic is really gripping the country. 
you were pregnant with your third child. Um, and then you go on, and of course, you're also at the time reporting the news in the midst of chaos unfolding in the world, and nobody really knows what's going on. Um, and from that time, you talk about, you know, the experiences of homeschooling during the pandemic and balancing that with work. And right after you gave birth, your whole family came down with COVID and all these insane experiences. Um, I know for me, reading through the sections from that that point in time, it brought back a lot of memories of what that year was like. Um, what was it like for you to kind of revisit that as you were editing and as you were collating? And have you heard anything from readers too about their reactions to kind of revisiting that that heart of the pandemic time? I have. Thank you so much for telling me and it made you think about you. That's mm-hmm. the goal. Anyone writing about themselves ultimately is, you know, hoping to relate to people and have other people think about them. And I'm certainly doing that. Maybe that's because I'm trained that way with journalism, but it's, you know, no one's alone and everyone might be going through their own details, but you have like whatever you're thinking, whatever you're doing, whatever it is that's stressing you out or that you're living through, someone else has gone through, someone else is thinking. You're not alone in any of those thoughts. So I was, to go to your question, I was stunned when I went back to look at what I had thought in March, April, May, June, July, you know, August, 2020, then our whole family has COVID and Hobie's a 10 day old with the youngest presumptively positive case in the County. we become a viral story around the nation. And it's this just unbelievable experience that had I not written down details and often I had no time to write and a newborn, two other kids, our whole family had COVID. I would speak into my phone, into notes to just document the thoughts and I would later transcribe them. So thank God I did. I would have forgotten all the details. You know how, I don't want to remember this so clearly, but in the book, when I was going back to, you know, write it and pooling stuff, I talked in the, about being in the hospital and he's 18 hours old or 20 hours old or, you know, 36 hours old, whatever in the hospital and the curtains, the hospital blinds, the shades were so clear to me in the sun coming through them and life was falling down around me. Mm-hmm. The governor announced that night that I had just given birth in the hospital. An alert came over my phone, a breaking news alert from the app, from the station where I work that I would have been reporting had I not been giving birth. And it was that all kids will be homeschooled, no school. And so here I am holding I mean, I think he's 10 hours old, 18 hours old. I forget exactly the hours old, but I remember documenting into my phone, whatever I thought. And then when I went back to read it, I'd forgotten that I felt that way. So yes, I was stunned. And again, I'll just say time numbs you to details. There's sort of an amnesia, certainly with newbornhood for parents. (laughs) Get ready, Sarah. (laughs) But there's so many beautiful gems in the details and the details are what makes stories stories. So to have documented it and to know that I had it down somewhere, whether by voice or writing, is what made them come to life again for me and hopefully everybody reading them because they remember their own things, their own Zoom calls, their own experiences of having kids in a backyard with nowhere to go um, or just work things, whether you have kids or not. I think the books are really relatable to everybody. I truly believe that with this third one in a huge way. I have more men who are single with no kids come over to me in the past four weeks since it launched being like, I love it. It's funny. And I have this like insight into a life I don't, 
understand, but I related to this, this, this. Those are the best compliments of all. Yeah, that's amazing. And that was one thing that I really enjoyed too in reading this was the uh, the comments, which you mentioned that you pulled some of the comments from, from Facebook from your original posts and shared those in the book along with the, the posts and pictures and stuff too. Um, and just hearing people's reactions and how much they can relate. And most of the comments are very sweet and heartwarming. Some of them are really funny. Um, but there are a few that you included that are a little bit more kind of harsh or critical or I don't know yes. if trolling is the right word, but at least more negative. Um, why? Very intentionally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What was the intent behind that? What What's important about kind of being transparent about the good and the bad of this process? Because I'm a public figure and on the Facebook page, I get a lot of, I said this before, 360 degrees. I get the good, the bad. I get everything. I posted about a beautiful, beautiful young girl who died of pediatric cancer just yesterday. And the first comment, there are now thousands of comments. The first comment was someone saying, well, did she have the vaccine for COVID? Everyone's going to get sick from that because we didn't research it enough. It had nothing to do with COVID, a vaccine, illness, nothing. It was only about her and her beautiful story and the foundation her parents are doing. I don't respond to people that say um, wild trolling things or take something off the path that you're on with a certain post like that one. The other people on my page usually handle that for me and will jump in and say, what's wrong with you? Why are you saying that right now? This is a not about that story. This is not about a vaccine. But for, the, for me to only put glowing, happy cheerleader comments into a book makes it look like only I only receive glowing, happy cheerleader comments. And that's not true. I get criticism all the time. I have a ton of social and public pressure in my career and life. I get judged on how I mom. I get judged on how I talk. I get judged on what I look like. And to certainly get judged on decisions when I'm putting them out there for the public in a storytelling way. We had to get rid of um, a dog. We, it just was not a good fit for our family. And I wrote about that and I had people who hated me and we did it in the most wonderfully kind, sensitive way. The dog is with a wonderful family now and is a much better situation for the dog and for us. But yet that sent people spiraling. I mean, animal activists, no matter how I would have done it, were very upset and they wrote about that and they didn't like me. And so I included some of those comments because to only say, oh, Molly, it's so great how you handled that situation would not have been real. And if nothing else, I try to be authentic and real. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I appreciated how honest you were about your, you know, your life and, and your process and also people's reactions to, um, I think one of the, the titles of the other books is The Juggle is Real. So mm-hmm. it just fits mm-hmm. in with that. Um, and the title of this book, too, I wanted to ask you about uh, Practice Makes Progress Instead of Practice Makes Perfect. How did you come up with that? And kind of what does that mean to you? I've learned it, Sarah. I've learned over life. When I wrote the first book, I might not have been able to come up with Practice Makes Progress because I might have still been chasing. I've always been pretty real and I let myself mess up. But, you know, time and experience makes you realize there is no real path. So two books and two kids, you would have thought I knew what was up. Well, here comes a third book. It's completely different. The world's completely different. Everything changes. And a third child is completely different. So every journey is different. Every um, path is new and it's all progress. It's all progress. There was a line I heard and you might laugh about this, a Taylor Swift song the other day, life is just a classroom. Mm -hmm. 
I thought it was so apropos. It was perfect. Life is a classroom. It really fits actually with the title of my book and what I was trying to come up with for so long. And I loved where I landed. I love practice makes dot, dot, dot progress. I love sort of switching what we were taught on its head, implying we were taught wrong. We were taught wrong. It's not perfect. Perfect is unattainable. Perfection is not really out there. And if you get to where you think you're trying to go, you probably want to change once you get there. We evolve. It's progress. There's steps along the way. And whether that's in parenting or writing or career or life or dreams or relationships, it's all progress. I love that because it's it's real, but it's positive too. Like you're, you're finding a um, an upside in the challenges. You're making progress along the way. And I think that's such a beautiful way of looking at it. And it's definitely evidenced on every page of this book. Thank you. I love that you read it and that you you have feedback. That's fun for me to hear. For all things Charlotte Readers Podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find a list of all episodes, an alphabetical guest list with links, detailed show notes for each episode, a community blog, and more. We'd love to have you visit. Um, well, I would actually love to have you read us a little bit from the book if you have a passage that you can share with our listeners. I do. I was debating between reading like serious or sort of cutesy funny Um and I think I'm going to go with the, the funny and, and the real life. because there's details in it. And as I just said, I'm, I'm big on details. Um, if you have the book, it's page 154, month 79. So I think it's like May or June of 2021. And I do want to say this. We've talked a lot about COVID. The book is not about COVID. You're not like being dragged through COVID again and reliving things that people don't want to relive. It's not that at all. It is documenting real life and finding relatable things between loving a career and a family and whatever you have outside of your life through, you know, 35 months. So part of that is COVID, but it's not a book on, on COVID. And this is an example of not on COVID. Month 79, the title's 14 Love Letters. Mom, he moaned dramatically from the back seat. He had that tone people have when they're trying to sound overwhelmed and rocked by busyness, but are actually proud of the task they have at hand. Mom, it's just so much. I have so much writing to do. Why was Hutch fake complaining? What writing? No one had to write anything the night before the most warped year of kindergarten wrapped for good. That's okay, Hatch, I replied as a clueless, distracted parent who wasn't interested in investigating. I'm sure you'll get it all done. I quickly glanced in the rearview mirror and saw him smile. Whatever writing he was bemoaning, he looked happy. That was good. It left my mind as I turned into the driveway, 32 minutes into my dinner break from work. Wes was traveling, and I picked him and Parker up from swim team practice, had gotten home to meet the sitter staying with Hobie. I knew I still had time to unpack their swim bags, heat up food, hug all three, then hop back in the car and return for the nighttime editorial meeting. I was playing Tetris with life, trying to fit things into each other like the video game. Hutch's unknown writing wasn't a priority. Fast forward a few minutes, ready to leave again. Come say bye, I yelled throughout the house. Mommy's leaving. Parker came running. The sitter was already with me and Hobie. Hutch was missing. Hutch, I yelled again. Come on, I'm going. Still nothing. He's in Mermaid Academy, Parker said casually before spinning away. He's using markers. Huh? Mermaid Academy was closed. We gratefully, ceremonially, shut down the desks. I didn't dread that space in my house anymore. I headed that direction. Hutch? Mom, how do I spell Patterson? I could hear him, but not yet see him. Patterson? Like the girl in your class? Yes. 
I was getting closer. P-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N. Okay. His voice was louder as I was fast approaching. How do I spell Hollis? What comes after the H and the O? Hollis is another student in his class. After the O, there is an L-L-I-S. Thank you. I walked into view to see Hutch hunched over with a fat purple Crayola marker in his hands, head down close to neon yellow and pink construction paper. How do I spell Olivia? I know she begins with A. She always tells people it sounds like Olivia, but it's with the letter A. What comes after A? He was writing cards to his classmates. Every single child. There is a sensation you feel when you are put in front of a surprise so emotionally pleasant it gets described as heart exploding. That's what happened when I saw my wet, shaggy-haired hutch leaned over art supplies at his desk, intensely writing in block kindergarten letters, names of kids I don't know, but who he considers his social network, even though he has only known them through masks and six feet of distance over the past few weeks, not an entire year. What you doing, Hutch? I already knew, but I wanted to hear him explain. I'm writing my friends. Tomorrow is the last day of school. He hadn't looked up at me. Can I see the ones you've done already, I asked? They're over there. His arm that was not being used to fist grip the marker jutted from his side to loosely reference a space to his left in an over there where I toss them for now manner. In true Hutch fashion, all the completed cards were in a messy pile spilling onto the floor. No organization, no system, no neatness. Just kindness and colors. I walked toward the construction paper swirl. Each one had the exact same message with a different name at the top. Name, I love you, form, Hutch. I hate that my first thought was his misspelling of from. Blame that gut reaction on the fact I edit scripts all night. But milliseconds later... My heart kicked out logic, and I zeroed in on his message. Hutch, this is so nice, I said. You're telling all your friends you love them? Yes. That's really special. Why are you telling them that? Because I do, and I won't see them again until first grade. I sat down on the floor, knowing that if I didn't sit myself down, I might fall over. I sat right there in my fancy work dress and quietly watched him finish every card, pulling every student's name out of his head, making sure he didn't miss one. When he was done, he went through a verbal checklist out loud and let me find the child's name in the pile to assure him that no one was missed. I was late returning to work. I didn't care. Upon my arrival, I told Maggie, the producer, this story. She fully understood and said it reminded her of being in second grade and picking out who got what paper Valentine cards that you tore off perforated sheets and then shared in the classroom party. This morning, now, before the last day of Parker and Hutch taking that bus until August, Hutch got up extra early to get his things together. I asked if I could take a picture of him with his cards. He happily obliged and smiled proudly, wearing his favorite blue striped socks, purple shorts, orange shirt, and holding his neon papers written with love. Sometimes you need to stop for a minute, maybe sit, and let life wash over you. That part. <laughs> so sweet. And I can't imagine how you felt. Um... When, when you saw him doing that. And it's just, there's some really, really wonderful heartwarming anecdotes in this book. Also, you know, like you're, like we said, you're very real about things. So you're honest about the kind of frustrations or foibles of parenting, but also just the, the funny and absurd parts and yeah, the whole spectrum of it. Um, that was beautiful. And, and Hutch is amazing. <laughs>
Your feedback's great, Sarah. Thank you. He's a very cool kid. He's now nine and he's just exactly the same. And I hope he remains that way for life. But whatever he is, whatever they all are, however I grow or change or Wes, their dad grows and changes, like it's documented. Mm -hmm. You know, we know who he was and we know who Parker and Hobie are now. And that's to me just, I'm so grateful that I made myself write once a month. Mm-hmm. Practice makes progress. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't sitting down to write a book. It was once a month. And I have three books in eight and a half years. Hey, listeners, we'll be back shortly with uh, this fascinating interview that Sarah is doing with Molly Grantham. But first, we have a short message from the audiobook narrator of Death by Podcasting. Hello, podcast listeners. I am Bill A. Jones, the narrator of Death by Podcasting, a novella written by Sarah Archer and Landis Wade and published by Charlotte Readers Podcast, LLC. I would like to invite you to experience Death by Podcasting. It's available in print, ebook, and (laughs) my personal favorite, audiobook, wherever books are sold. And here's the bonus. When you buy Death by Podcasting, you support Charlotte Readers Podcast. And you learn how dangerous it can be to podcast with authors. Here's a taste of the story. Podcast co-hosts Raspy Fuse and Salty Remarks receive an anonymous text. One of the three author guests you plan to interview Tuesday night intends to kill you both. At first, the co-hosts think the text is a joke. Why would egotistical poet William Z. Wisp, sexy romance author Della Molasses, or tightly wound thriller writer Edwin Nocturne want to kill them? Raspy and Salty have never met the scribblers. The co-hosts approach their killer interviews as a fun adventure until they learn another literary podcaster died mysteriously when she interviewed the authors. And a psychologist specializing in writer therapy has been treating the writers for mental health issues. Worse yet, the co-hosts discover suspicious ties between the authors and disgruntled members of their own podcast team, doubling the suspect list. Raspy and Salty decide to tap into their experience reading and writing mysteries to identify their would-be murderer and unravel the plot before it's too late. If they can't, Their sense of humor and wordplay will be all they have left to avoid death by podcasting. To learn more about Sarah Archer's writing, check out saraharcherwrites.com. To learn more about Landis Wade's writing, check out landiswade.com. For all things Charlotte Readers Podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. Happy reading and listening. And oh, if you ever decide to podcast with authors... Be careful out there. One thing I wanted to ask you about too was just how you how you did that because I feel like one of the biggest um, struggles that I hear other writers voice is finding time to write, um, and that's something that I struggle with too sometimes. But you know, you've got a demanding full time job, you've got three young kids, you're doing speaking engagements and charity events and all these things, and you still wrote and published three books. <laughs> so I, I feel like none of us have an excuse now. How, how did you actually find the time to do that? So I do a lot of keynotes to this, and in particular to um, corporate groups, executives who feel like they're so, so busy, <clears throat> and um, women's groups and sort of empowering, empowering women and motivational talks. And I only say that because it applies to everybody. And busy 
you know, you prioritize what you want to do. And it truly is the title of the book. And that's not a shameless plug. Whether you get the book or not, you can take this with you in life. It's practice makes progress. You aren't going to start by writing a book. You don't sit down to write a book. You put into your calendar and you schedule however you do, whether it's with a legal pad and pen or a digital phone system, or I actually have a large desktop calendar from Staples with five different Sharpie colors on an easel in my kitchen. Because that's how we have to do it. And whatever you want to do, you take the time and you put it in there. So if you want to learn to play guitar, sign up for a lesson and put it in the calendar. You know, if you want to write a book or you want to just have time to write for yourself, set up a time for yourself to go to a coffee shop or open your laptop and put your phone upside down and do that for two hours. I mean, if you want to call your best friend and you never get time and I miss her, uh, I can't talk to her. I never want to catch up with people like you make time for it. I actually put into my calendar, call Katrina, my best friend from seventh grade who lives in Baltimore. And then when that pops up on my calendar, because I'm overorganized and I have this set, it doesn't make me feel guilty for being on the phone because we're planning it. So Mm -hmm. if you want to write, write, if you want to walk or you want to lose weight, start by going 10 minutes a day and put it in the calendar. That's what I say. Yeah, that, that's that's great advice too. I think because especially in writing a book, that's something that can feel so intimidating to people. Um, and it just seems so huge. And it, to think, okay, I'm sitting down to write a book, that just seems impossible almost, even if you've done it before. Like I've written whole books and anytime I try to start something new, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, so thinking about, I'm just going to block out this time and I'm going to set that intention. I'm going to get this done today. Mm-hmm. Um, and writing it down, like you said, putting it in a calendar, I think is, is great advice. Um but I also wanted to ask you about the uh, the kind of launch and marketing process for this too. Mm. Um, I got mm-hmm. to go to your launch party a few weeks ago, which was amazing. Such a fun event. Um, great turnout. I think people had a really good time. And um, you also did a lot of really thoughtful things there in terms of how you kind of incorporated the book itself and other authors and other kind of local groups and community partners into the event. Um, things like you had drinks that were themed after each of the three books or like pulling pulling inspiration from the book for some of the decor. Um, one thing that I love that you did was you had books from local authors as centerpieces on the tables that people could then take with them. Um, mm-hmm. So it, there was a lot that was really great about kind of promoting your book, but also uplifting other authors and other just people and small businesses in the community. Thank you so much, Sarah, for noticing that. Yeah. That was my whole goal. So the fact that you just said that has me smiling hugely here. Yeah, Thank you. yeah, it was it was wonderful. And it was really sort of like infused throughout the whole event in a natural way. Um, and so I'm wondering for even writers who don't necessarily want to do a big launch event, but do you have any kind of tips on how, how to launch a book and how to involve your community in that process? I've launched three books and I've uh, learned a lot through those three different experiences because all were very, very different. And I would only suggest to whoever's launching, whatever it is, a new business, um, you know, if you want to have a baby shower for yourself, or if you want to launch your book, you just want it to be you and you want it to be authentically you or else you're not going to have fun and you're going to stress out about it. It's like if you had a wedding and the wedding doesn't reflect who you and your partner are, you know, and it's like for your parents. Well, then that's not really you. I really wanted to do a big party. It it had been a long time. Um, The second book launched in May of 2020. Bookstores were closed. Nothing was open. I couldn't launch anything. And it was truly through all social media. 
and had to rearrange how I sold them and rearrange my thought process on it quickly. So the second book never got the attention that I had thought maybe I'd want to do for that. It ended up working out great. And I loved that process. I learned a lot from it and online sales and mollygrantham.com and how all of that works and being able to personalize things through people emailing me first. And just, it was a whole different you know, world as we all were living in May of 2020. And the first book was kind of this fluke thing I threw out there. So we went to a brewery and some people got beers and I read a section and it was fun. It was great. I wanted for this third, knowing it's the final in the series, to birth this third book, wrap up the series and throw a heck of a party. It was also a couple of weeks before my 20 years at WBTV and 20 years in Charlotte. So it was almost like we were throwing a party for everybody, my husband and I, that we love and have come across and are connected to in the community. And the invitation actually said like, don't post on social media. It's not open to the whole public, but friends of friends of friends, bring whoever you want, bring more people because we wanted to make it a community thing. And I was very intentional about wanting to hire small businesses. There was no big box sort of anything vendor. Um, And there were, I think 10 or 12 vendors I was working with, with this one venue that no one knew about in West Charlotte. That's new. A lot were women owned businesses. Um, And a lot were places that I just, people I want to support Um, people I've learned to love and follow on social media and they're small businesses that are just doing it and they live and lead with heart. Um, the beer was provided and brought in and I worked with and got through town brewing because we love West Charlotte and we love town brewing. It's near WBTV. They have good food. They let the kids come in, they can get sprites. Like it's just a great spot. So I wanted to use places that were me and I would only encourage anyone who's throwing anything for themselves, especially a book that you're proud of, that you have gone through the process to make sound like you, and it's your own creativity in mind, make however you launch it you. So if you want a formal luncheon and everybody to buy the book in advance, do that. If you want to just have a party with no guest list and throw a bash, do that. You know, if you'd like to read three sections or be interviewed on stage by someone to really dig into your own mind in a very quiet sort of setting, do that. If you have a coffee shop kind of gathering, do that. I mean, you can do whatever you want, but make it you. And I do feel like I'm driven by the community. I feel like I'm a part of Charlotte and it is definitely Charlotte's a part of the fabric that makes up me, which I say with true, true conviction. So making it a community partnered thing and highlighting other groups almost more than my book within the party was really important to me. I had some charities come in to do stuff and to talk about them. Um, it just all of that, you know, it was highlighting people and things in this community that I think can use some attention that are awesome. Yeah, I think that really comes through in the book and in your approach to marketing it, just your love for the community. Um, And it was also appropriate to give it a good send off because this, I believe, is your final book in the series, the third one. So can you tell us a little bit about how you came to that decision to end the series here? Yes, I can. So it's the, um, I'll say first, the final in this series. But a lot of people say, oh, you're going to stop writing. And I didn't say I'm going to stop writing. It's the final in this series. When I started them, again, it was by accident. I just was posting and and then I ended up knowing it was a book by month 29. Someone said, I think you have a book. So the first one became month, you know, one to month 30. So I ended with to be continued because as I was putting it into a book and learning that process, I kept writing monthly posts. So the second one became month 31 to 65. And I put at the end to be continued. I had no plan to end it. I didn't know how I was going to go. And I have learned to sort of let go of certain things and not control everything in life. And so I just sort of figured we'd figure it out. And it was probably roughly a year ago. Uh, November, December, 2022. And my daughter, Parker, I've written about my three kids, the real, the raw, all of it. And she was started when I was three and a half. And I looked at her and she was um, 12. 
or almost 12. She's in middle school at that time and um, has a phone, you know, last year and coaches would know of her from my writing and teachers would know of her from my writing and she plays soccer and now she plays volleyball and friends, parents would be like, Oh, Parker, all kind, all loving, nothing hateful. But I realized as she was getting older and I looked at her one day and she's on social media, you know, and I was navigating that and she's in middle school and she's a girl and middle school's hard for girls, for everybody. But in particular, I worry about girls with phones. So it was like, I think I should stop for her. She didn't ask me. And I had this thought and I mulled it around and I asked Wes before ever bringing it up with Parker. And he said, whatever you want to do, it's you. It's always been you. It's your thing. Whatever you think. I'm good with anything you wanted to go, which was great gift from him. And so I, I went to Parker and said, I think I want to stop writing about you and your brothers um, so much, certainly in the monthly posts. And I might write here in therapy, but I, I really think that for you, it's time for you to have your own independent thoughts and for people to see you as you and who you are and not through my words. And she just said, but you love to write. And that was her first response. And I'll never forget it. And I had thought so much about what to say, Sarah. I had thought, you know, for like a week on how to have this conversation. It, to me, it was a big deal. And she was like, but you love to write. And I said, well, I'll probably still write. And definitely about your brothers. And if there's big public stuff, she and I want an Emmy together. I'll write about that. She was on stage with me to help breast cancer at a charity event. I'll write about that. That was public. I said, but, but I think a lot of things that happen are for you. And you need to figure out how to navigate life without other people having a preconceived notion of who you are or how you, how you work. And she said, thanks. Thank you. And she walked away and it was maybe 60 second conversation total when I had this huge thing mapped out in my head. But honestly, that to me, I almost tear up telling you that story now because I'll never forget it. And it made me know she appreciated it. And she would have never asked me for it ever. She would have never asked me to stop writing about her because she knew I loved it. That was the first thing she said. And I do love writing, but there are so many things in this world to write about. I don't need to write about her and give people a billboard to who she is. She needs to be her, her own self and become her own person without other people already thinking they know her. And it was just the most perfect thing. And at that point, it was like month 96 or 97 or whatever. And I was like, well, great. We'll end at month 100. A nice, tidy number. And not to give it away, but the last chapter is called The End. And it goes into to more of what we just talked about and why I'm ending it. And I have had a lot of feedback from people, in particular moms, who have said, what a great idea and it was great how it ended and it was perfect how it ended and it left me wanting more and I wish you could still write, but I understand. Um, and to be honest, whether people understood or not, doesn't matter. I knew why I was doing it. It matters to me and Parker got it and that's all that matters. But the fact that others felt what I was feeling in the words I used to describe that does feel good. The ending definitely felt right to me when I was reading it. I, I know that there's more stories you could tell. There's always going to be more, but it felt like an appropriate emotional place to end the series. It does feel right. I will tell you one other thing in the very back of the book. I don't know what's making me want to tell you this right now, but I'm going to. Um, the very back, I, I think it's in acknowledgments. Um, I say... 
None of my children have read any of these three books so far. Though I can't wait for them to devour their childhoods through my perspective, the time hasn't yet been right. When they do and they get here to the end, I hope they see their individualized beauty. Parker, my reflection. Thank you. Hutch, my imagination. Thank you. Hobie, my spark. Thank you. The three of you should never doubt how you make your parents whole. That's such a beautiful tribute. And it is going to be amazing one day for your kids to be able to go back and read these books and see this moment in their lives crystallized like that. Um, And speaking of looking back, I wanted to wrap up with a question that we like to ask all of our authors, which is if you could go back in time and give one piece of advice to yourself as a younger writer, or maybe even as a younger journalist at the beginning of your journalism career, what would you want to tell yourself? I think I say it in the book. Um, Practice makes progress. Just do it. Just start it. Just write it. Just try it. And don't don't get scared or get in your own way because you don't need to start with a book. You can start with a few paragraphs. And I really love that life lesson I've learned. I wasn't told. I've learned it. I've earned it such good advice I love that too and not just for writers but just for life in general I think that's that's wonderful advice um, and thank you so much for that and for everything you've shared with us today Molly and for these amazing books thank you for being here sharing your work with us um, listeners thanks for riding along and listening with us too and until next time read on and write on <laughs>